Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour is here. Crew is all here as well, including you. We appreciate you joining us, and we hope you'll subscribe to our YouTube channel, Outkick 360. SEC Media Day is ongoing down in Hoover, Alabama. We're going to hit some headlines from that throughout the hour, including the Tennessee Volunteers. That's where we start the Tennessee Power Hour. The Vols uh, making the rounds at the Winfrey Hotel in Hoover. Josh Heupel speaking to the media for the first time, Chad. And uh, the discussion points talk everything from vaccination rates to style of offense and transfer portal, which they've been affected by. Yeah, and they've uh, they've been affected both negatively and positively by the transfer portal. And, and Josh Heupel brought that up. He said it, the lot's going to be pointed to how many guys they lost, and he didn't hide from that. He said we've lost a ton of guys, mainly on defense, big-time defensive players. But they also added eight guys in the transfer portal, and they really need all of them to play and contribute, especially the defensive guys. Uh, a couple things that, that jumped out to me. Greg Sankey said yesterday that 80%, or excuse me, six of the teams in the SEC are over 80% vaccination rate. And that's where they want to get with, with the teams, or even go higher than that if possible. Tennessee's not one of those six. Josh Heupel was asked about it. He said, we're very close and we should be over 80% before the start of the season, but not one of those six teams. Uh, a quote that jumped out to me, two of them, from his time with the media, he said, we want to play fast. And he said, a lot is made about that, about how fast-paced we're going to be. I don't look at it as fast in terms of snaps as much as fast processing of information. And he talked about that on defense, too. He said, we're the same way on defense. We want to get lined up and process information fast. That is the key to having success in football, especially the way college football is played right now. So I thought, a good point there. The other thing he said, a misnomer about his offense, that everyone says they're just going to throw the ball around all the time. And he said, while you're running a lot of plays, hopefully, you are going to throw the ball quite a bit. But he said, we base the offense around the run game. He said that we will run the ball a lot, and everywhere we've been, we've run it very well. Every offense that he's ever been a part of. So. I think a key point with that, Jabari Small, who's probably going to be the starting running back for Tennessee, likes to hear things like that. Overall, I saw the question, you know, what do you want to hear from Josh Heupel today that's going to make you say that he won media days or, you know, whatever that may be. A lot being made of Shane Beamer of South Carolina yesterday winning media days. There's nothing. There's nothing he could say. There's something bad he could say or have a terrible performance that we'd be talking about. I don't think there's anything that Josh Heupel could have done today in a good way that would make me say, oh boy, here we go. This is going to be great well, for Tennessee football. I think you can, you can, you can hurt, hurt yourself. Your, yeah. Yeah, don't you can hurt, hurt yourself. yourself. So my overall takeaway of Josh Heupel at Tennessee, he did not hurt himself at all. You know, I don't think he said anything completely crazy yeah. you know, out of left field. I don't think he hurt himself in any way talking about the program, talking about why he took the job. And that's a win, I think. If you can leave media days – answering questions and not stepping on yourself at any point, then that's a good thing. I think that's what Josh Heupel accomplished. 
You know, is this, it may not be the first time, but it, ha- it doesn't happen often that a Tennessee coach walks the halls and, and the, goes into the lobby of the Winfrey uh, this time of year without a lot of expectation for the season, uh, meaning competition at the top of the SEC East at the at minimum. And I, I, I just don't think the fan base is expecting too much from Heupel this year. Uh, I... I I think he has a chance to do some do some growing offensively, where you have a, a sense of pride with how they play. But as far as the win loss record is concerned, there's not a lot of pressure on him this year. I don't think there's really any pressure other than you know don't go out and lose to Bowling Green, who's right. maybe the worst no, team in Division One. That goes without saying. That goes without saying. But other than the you know the Georgia State type collapse, uh, I don't think there's anything. That's going to be overly alarming. I mean, if they go out and they're not competitive against Kentucky and Missouri and teams like that, that's going to be a big issue. If they lose to Vandy, that's going to be an issue. So there are things that could happen that's not good. But in terms of expectation, Hutton. They're under the radar. Well, when was the last time that any new Tennessee coach was in Hoover that no one cared? And I'm not just talking about the media as a whole that covers that event or that covers the SEC. I'm talking about Tennessee fans, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for what Tennessee needs right now. They, they may need to be a little bit under the radar. Now, Josh Heupel, at some point, once this NCAA investigation is behind him, is going to need to create some buzz. Best way to do that is on the field, but you're going to have right. to have some buzz at some right. point about your program. But I, I was reading a story from The Athletic, and they were kind of going through what to expect from media days, and three of the four writers that cover the SEC said, expect Shane Beamer to be the big winner that just his personality and style is going to fit really well with the media there. And they were going through the list of new SEC coaches, who's going to shine, who's not. And I think two of the three writers basically said, doesn't matter what Clark Lee or Josh Heupel say because they're irrelevant. Tennessee and Vandy just need to get back to relevance before anyone really cares. So there's really nothing those guys could do. And that really struck me as not just a lack of, of anticipation, or pressure on an incoming coach, but a lack of, re- of any real interest in a new Tennessee coach was was startling. In a way, here, Heupel is a beneficiary of the failures of the several guys before him now. And so he can come out and surprise with this high-flying offense, with the pace, with all of those things. And even if you're kind of anticipating it as a fan, your senses are dulled at this point. You've talked about this a lot, Chad. I mean... You're used to it by now, of being disappointed to a degree. I mean, you had that six-game run a couple years back, but expectations have generally been lowered, and you're in a prove-it kind of situation now where you're not going to get your expectations. You're not going to get excited until you see something. And he's got a chance to show you something, particularly on offense, but it's not like this, you must show me something. It's more like, "Ah, okay, let's see. We also don't know him that well, no. right? He, he hasn't been making the rounds uh, through media circles prior to SEC media. Now he's been on the show. We and had we've a good talked talk to him, him. Uh, and there have been other there have been good conversations with him. But overall, he stayed behind the scenes over the last several months, and for the first time in a in a while, maybe ever, going back to expectations, Tennessee fans don't they don't know the players on this team. I mean, the the the, the offensive turnover alone. When you look at the names this year compared to last year, uh, either through guys that were we knew were leaving or guys that transferred because they took advantage of the, of the one time, or the, the open portal, 
or just new guys coming in, you don't know the team or the coach that well. And so expectations are flatlined because of that on top of what they're coming out of. Well, look at who they brought to Hoover with them for SEC Media Days as a prime example. Yes, you've got Elante Taylor from Coffee County High School here in the state. That's a veteran player from the state. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. The other guy they brought on offense is a transfer from USC who really didn't do anything until the last few games of a year ago and has been there for one year. I think that's a good example of the unfamiliarity of this roster uh, with everyone. I mean, the, the coaching staff, with the guys leaving, the guys coming in, the young guys they're going to rely on, the fans don't know what to expect. The key word here to me throughout this whole thing of what do you expect, what's your level of expectation, and it has nothing to do with Josh Heupel's demeanor at SEC Media right, Days no. or if he's going to be joking around or any of that. It's fun. Josh Heupel has tried to bring fun back into the Tennessee program. I've joked about food trucks and dodgeball and laser tag and movie nights. He's done more of that than any coach I can remember taking over a program because he sees the need for these guys to have fun playing football again. And at some point, it just wasn't fun under Jeremy Pruitt. Now, losing is not fun. I'm not saying they're going to go out there and you know go have a movie night after a 44-7 loss to Kentucky this year, and it's going to be fun for everyone. But what I want to see more than anything from this team is a level of enthusiasm and a fun offense. You don't have to go out and score 40 points yeah, every game. You're going to get shut down. Yeah. You may go up against Georgia or Florida and get completely shut down with your offense. But I want to see a couple games where, boy, you know, they put up 51 points on Missouri. Well, that was fun when they just beat South Carolina by three touchdowns. Something like that that gives you some hope that, okay, this offense can work. You know, if they get all the right pieces in place and what they, they want to bring in, this is an offense, at least that week to week, you can go into it thinking, we're going to give ourselves a chance because the offense is going to be fast-paced, fun. We're going to score some points. If our defense can just get the proper number of stops, get a couple takeaways, maybe Tennessee can upset some people. No one is going into 2021, though, thinking, boy, maybe if this and this happens, Tennessee will beat Georgia or they're going to beat Alabama. No one's considering that. But at least show the signs this year that a year from now, two years from now, that could start to happen. And, look, I, I think fans – I mean, it's baby steps to a degree, right? I, I think fans will remind themselves this year, it's better to be talking about a failure to get a stop than it is the inability for the quarterback to place a pass. No doubt. No doubt. And it, or, or to just, again, have a functional offense. I mean, this was the Jim Chaney problem. Not having to burn timeouts coming out of plays. a timeout. Yeah, have the right amount of guys on the field. Yeah, uh, Play fast to where even if the play isn't there, everyone knows what something. they're doing when you snap the ball. And there's not mass confusion on every – just little execution things like that I, I think is so important uh, for this Tennessee team. And a lot of people are going to watch – if you're not a Tennessee fan, you're going to say, boy, my, how the mighty have fallen, that this is what we're talking about with Tennessee football. It's reality, people. I mean, that's where they are. I, there's no other way to say it. Is this where Tennessee football wants to be? Is this where fans want them to be? No, of course not. But that's where they are this year. And, Paul, you brought up the reminders of where they are and level of expectation. It's easy to say these things in July. It's easy to say these things in August. But when September 2nd gets here and Tennessee's down 14-7 to to Bowling Green, it's not going to change what fans think. It's hard when you're inside of it. You know what's coming. You know it's going to be ugly at times. 
You know you're going to have some bad losses, but then when you see it, it's never easy to reconcile it when you're a diehard fan. And that's going to start happening too. And Josh Heupel is going to have to deal with that. I, I think he's got the demeanor to deal with it just fine. Yeah. But that's going to be part of it also. He can tell everyone, and he's not trying to set the expectations too low. He's not really setting the expectations anywhere. But you can even tell people we're not going to be that good. And then when you're not good, they're still going to be angry. So then you're going to have to deal with that part of it also as the head coach. Well, he's not setting the expectations too low. But he's also, I, I think it's, it, it's very important, and we'll, we'll hear from Clark Lee later this week, I think it's very important that they don't set the expectations too high early. Uh, it is how you carry yourself and how you conduct yourself with some of these answers. And what you don't say can be just as critical as what you do say. Don't be Derek Mason, who stood at the podium at his first SEC media day, said they were going to recruit nationally and that they were going to win the SEC East. That's not happening. I mean, you, you, can, you can be irrelevant walking the halls at SEC media days if that's how it was at the Athletic that was previewing this. Yeah. Uh, for Tennessee and Vandy. That might be true. But when people look at you, they don't look at someone that's delusional. Well, that's and, losing. And that's, that's, that's imperative for a new coach coming into the SEC that thinks he's got it figured out and that his, his way is going to work because it's the opposite of what he's, he's taking over. I think they have a, a clear vision for how much work it's going to take. We know Clark Lee does because he know, he's played within the program. He knows what it takes to actually win at Vandy. It takes a lot, and they're changing the mentality there too. Heupel's got to do the same, and I, I think there is this there's this vibe that oh Tennessee is a national power with the brand, so it's not going to take that long, and I think Heupel understands it is it's it's a it may not be as slow of a build as what Clark Lee has, but it's a build. That example you raise with Mason is exactly the kind of thing we were talking about with the. Don't mess it up. Right. Yeah. Yes. In Hoover. That's the bad example. Uh, you don't you, want to you be create the story a headline, in a bad way. A headline where everybody says, look at this ridiculous, delusional guy. You can say, in three years, that's our goal. Maybe at least push it out and say, oh, look at that cute, optimistic Vanderbilt guy. But if you say that's our intention in year one and well, you're Vanderbilt. I, I think most people just heard that and said, what? chill. Yeah. You know, it was one of those, you're the story and everybody's repeating the quote because it's kind of a joke. When well, you heard it, 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 and that, it, that was the problem. Even your that. own fans probably don't want but the to hear thing, that. But the thing about that, that media day when we were there and he said that, he's, keep in mind he's on the hills of what James Franklin did where they're winning back-to-back -back seasons of nine games. And, and they didn't even come close then, to winning the East. People, he's a first-time head coach, and you know, he's a defensive-minded coach going into Vandy and taking over what they had. And we knew that the recruiting was not as high as what it had been early on in Franklin's tenure, um, we knew that wasn't likely. They were going to compete for the SEC East with Georgia and Florida at the time because Franklin was close to that, but he wasn't winning the SEC East, even at the clip he was winning at. Well, but I mean, and maybe my memory's deceiving me, I think there was a year where he beat Florida, Georgia, and Tennessee in the same year, which... That should win you the East. I know things lined up that way where it didn't happen. Or Missouri. But you would think, you know, then they lost, you know, their West opponent or whatever it was that year. But I feel like there was a year where that happened. That's remarkable <laughs> at Vanderbilt. To beat one of those three teams is a year. good year. Uh, to beat two of them is amazing. To beat yeah. three may never happen again. And I feel like if Franklin didn't accomplish that, it was over the course of two years or he beat two of the three. Either way, you're right, Hutton. That's what Derek Mason was walking into. So he felt those he had expectations to live up to were it. a little bit more and, understandable. Right. But the rest of us, the media, are saying it's Vandy football. 
the history is there and even with all that, James Franklin didn't get to Atlanta. Well, but he said if that, James Franklin couldn't get to Atlanta, we were doubting Derek Mason was going to be the one to do it. Well, he said that and then went and got kicked around by Temple. Right. So here's a here's a quote yeah. from Heupel in terms of hedging expectations. The one thing I've seen answering a question, he says, "You can't get caught up in the long term goals like more wins. We have to focus on what we can control right now." Really, the first time I've heard him talk about win totals. Or expectations. I'm surprised he touched that even. Yeah, I mean, and it's totally understandable what he's saying because even if you're a coach, you're going to be racking your brain on how to get to seven wins or you know, whatever the number is you have in your head. And when you're not close to that, it's going to kill you. But it's understandable. That's the first time I've even heard him talk about expectations with a win total. Uh, it, it's a, well, well, they're still there making the round, so there will be other comments and quotes to come. But overall... Uh, Heupel did a nice job uh, today in, in front of the, the press on, uh, on Radio Row and in front of the, the, the big media uh, room at the Winfrey Hotel. Uh, Chad, you mentioned Shane Beamer, and we knew he was energetic and had a big personality, but I, I, I loved it. You know, even going into it, knowing that that's what we were going to get, when you watch his press conference back and you see the energy... I'm a believer that energy and passion, just projecting that to your fan base, winning them over, gains you an extra year or two with the program. In, in today's, even in the NFL, for that matter. Ken Wisenhunt could have helped himself a lot with the Tennessee Titans had he been a nice guy. And he went out of his way to be an ass. Yep. And it, that did not help him save his job. Um, I'm not saying Bieber's in that same category by any means. He's the opposite. But... His direction and focus for a program that's been under 500 three of the last five years with Will Muschamp, I thought he did an excellent job with everything that he said for South Carolina football. I thought he was great. I mean, he's stepping into a similar situation where I think their Vegas win-loss total is lower than Tennessee's even. Mm-hmm. They're going to be a bad team this year. they got a top-20 recruiting class right now for next year. I think that's where the energy and passion shows up, Hutton, is immediately paying dividends in recruiting. Immediately paying dividends with some of the recruits they were able to, or some of the transfers South Carolina was able to. They've had a lot. And and I think South Carolina, if you look at it just in terms of passionate, big fan base and historically underachieving, they're right up there. Um, That's not a program, it's, it's not been a good program. I'm not saying they should be Georgia and Florida. But, and they're in a tough spot. I do think it's a, a classically underachieving program based on interest in that program. Shane Beamer is the type of personality who can tap into that. Now, the big issue they have is they have got a monster up the road from them, upstate in Clemson, yeah. and that's their big rival in state. And as long as Dabo is there, that's not really changing. So that's always going to be an uphill climb, but I think the early returns from Shane Beamer are very good. I like the social media presence as well, where Shane Beamer went to the same Arby's where Spurrier uh, was just filling up his glass, and someone snapped a photo of him with the tie undone. He's got the sunglasses on, and they're like, oh, here, here's Steve Spurrier at the Arby's. Beamer went and posed in the same fashion uh, and stopped by the same Arby's that uh, that Spurrier did on his way to SEC Media Days. I, I thought this was awesome. It's a great photo, and it was great how he placed his two players in the backdrop. If you pan yeah. out from that, they're yeah. just sitting in the corner, kind of looking awkwardly at the camera <laughs> as their coach is doing it. It was a very well-posed picture. 
of both those guys side yeah. by side. It was great. And him paying homage to Paul's favorite, Steve Spurrier. Uh, clever. Yes. Whoever came up with that. Good. And whether it was Shane Beamer who came up with it or not, Shane Beamer has a good enough sense of humor that he was able to pull it off. Shane Beamer did a good job not looking like a blind man while he did this. The blue blockers that uh, Spurrier was wearing at the time? Yeah. yeah. Some large sunglasses. Looks like he just had his pupils dilated at the yeah. optometrist. Coming back from down. the eye doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Spurrier just going through, just getting some sauce, getting some horsey sauce. Did you and catch? Then like, hey, yeah. hey, coach, what's up? Catch. Snap the photo. Let me also say that when you want Arby's, there's nothing else that'll satisfy that, <laughs> that hunger outside of Arby's. Chad knows. He went a couple Chad weeks knows. ago. They're not paying us what about the bathroom I'm just telling cleanliness. you, when you really want an Arby's, you, you got to go get that damn Arby's. What about the bathroom cleanliness at this particular Arby's? In Hoover? Yeah. I don't know that we've stopped at that Arby's. I thought Angie might have a rating for no, it. No, Angie's not spending a lot of time down south. We're not driving to Hoover, Alabama a lot. We're driving. She knows northwest, that trek. Through uh, Southern Illinois, Kentucky, Missouri, Iowa—that's the track she knows. If you need a bathroom recommendation on the the path that Chad just mentioned, text him, tweet him, he'll tell you. SEC season uh, and college football season about a month away. Can't wait for that. Uh, Lane Kiffin later today, later this afternoon, at the Winfrey. He'll say something. Feel pretty confident about Lane Kiffin. Uh, oh, Lane Kiffin talking name, image, likeness. Yeah. That'll be awesome. By the way, Heupel was asked about name, image, likeness, and he said, I just keep coming back to thinking about what I could have done <laughs> as a national championship quarterback, you know, at the time. Like, your mind starts racing with, boy, what, what could I have made he in made. my time as a player he is what he made. keeps thinking about. National championship winning quarterback at Oklahoma. is going to make yeah. money. Coming up, uh, we will interact with you on Twitter, at Outkick360. There's a former Titans player that a lot of Titans fans have been discussing this offseason, and specifically this week. We'll discuss Delaney Walker straight ahead. Uh, plus, Titans tickets available for all the games as far as a, a ticket package that's intriguing. Uh, an easy ticket into the gate at Nissan Stadium. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. The Tennessee Power Hour rolls on. Outkick 360 alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Delaney Walker getting a, a lot of Titans fans stirred up with some comments recently that are really not new comments. He, he said this to us on his radio show when he was a part of uh, a weekly hour with us on Tuesdays for three seasons. He thought playing in a small market hurt his chances of doing more than just going to a Pro Bowl every now and then or being voted higher than a Gronkowski or a Jimmy Graham or an Olsen. I'm trying to think of the other the tight ends that, that Kelsey. He, Kelsey would have been there uh, that same era. He was an extremely productive tight end on a very bad football team. Accountable um, and consistent. Um, a good leader uh, for, for that group. But he felt as though the small market and the, the type of team he was playing on hurt the accolades that he would have received had he played in a bigger market. And I remember discussing with him at the time that he's not wrong on that. But ultimately, it came down to the exposure. And you're not putting a two-win and a three-win team in prime time. You're putting them 
on the noon kickoff and getting them out of the way, and you're putting them on Thursday night football against the Jacksonville Jaguars and getting them aside off the primetime programming. But what he did here is he bumped it up to a Hall of Fame conversation, and he's not a Hall of Fame player. Um, and uh, that's where he went a little crazy. Market size had nothing to do with your Hall of Fame credentials. We get a list right. of guys who are five years removed from their career. We know all the eligible guys. Every all the 48 voters for the Hall of Fame know all the eligible guys. Has nothing to do with market size whatsoever in terms of your credentials. If Delaney Walker wants to be mad at somebody about his uh, lack of the Hall of Fame worthiness, if you will, he should be mad at the San Francisco 49ers, who didn't use him as a pass-catching tight end while he was there for the first four years of his career, where he could have been very effective, but they used him as a blocking guy behind Vernon Davis. He could have had four years of good statistics out of San Francisco. You're not making the Hall of Fame as a tight end without big pass-catching numbers in the modern era. And four years of pass-catching numbers that he could have had in San Francisco, he didn't get because they preferred Vernon Davis. That's really the key to the hole in, in Delaney Walker's. Now, if he had the kind of numbers that he put up in his prime in Tennessee from San Francisco, I don't know if he has a Hall of Fame case, but he'd be a lot closer. The thing that's holding him back is that he doesn't have a Hall of Fame resume. Not that it, the resume that he has came in Tennessee. Well, and if I remember correctly, when he talked about this on our old show <clears throat> we had with Delaney, he was referencing all pro voting or pro bowl voting and how because Nashville's not a big well, NFL market with a huge fan base, he, so that it hurts him. Yeah. We, he was putting up exceptional numbers. Yeah. He was it, on fantastic. bad teams. Comparable to the top tight ends, tight ends in the league. And He's getting doubled, sometimes triple team. That's not an exaggeration because he's he's the only player putting up numbers on an offense that was sucked. Uh, and we asked him why people didn't recognize him more, and that was his answer. Like, look, I'm no one's watching me. <laughs> and he, again, is, he's not wrong. Which is but correct. he used Atlanta as a comparison. He said, if I played in Atlanta, I would. Who in Atlanta's getting a ton of attention? Also, Antonio Gates Julio played Jones. on. Uh, well, Julio Jones, an otherworldly player. Somebody comparable to Delaney Walker in Atlanta's not getting a lot of national attention either. And Antonio Tony Gates, Gonzalez. I mean, it, well, Antonio Gonzalez is a lot better career-wise than Delaney Walker. Antonio Gates is a lot better career-wise. He didn't play on great teams either throughout his career. Uh, maybe better on average than Delaney Walker, but he wasn't on a lot of national TV broadcasts either. I think it's, uh, I mean, he's saying what he said to us, but he's amping it up. Uh, he's turning it into a Hall of Fame thing, and it sounds like sour grapes. Well, did he turn it into a Hall of Fame thing, or was he asked about the Hall of Fame, and that was his response? Uh, I heard it, but I, I don't remember. I, I don't, yeah. I, I think he brought up the Hall of Fame. I think thing. the context of it is, is important. Uh, if it's a question he's answered by the Hall of Fame, and that's his excuse for it, I think he's wrong, because the excuse is the overall career, right? It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with market size or anything else, but... I think he's spot on with what he told us. I mean, that's here's what that it was. makes perfect sense. Here's what it was. I heard it, and he was asked, why come back? But why do you want to come back? And he said, for my legacy, to, to play in a Super Bowl and to get the recognition that I haven't gotten. Um, you know, and I, I think he brought up Hall of Fame and accolades. Well, he's played in a Super Bowl. I mean, they didn't win. To win a yeah. Super Bowl. I, I don't. Um, but the teams I, I who think, are going to. I think people get really sensitive about these things when comments are made from players like this. But I think it's also, if you take a step back and really think about it, 
what he's saying is true. You don't get as much attention when you're not the big market team and you're not having success. I mean, there sometimes the big market team with a national fan base gets the benefit of the doubt and may get a few more eyeballs on them, even if they're bad. But when you're on bad teams and you're the one really good player, and he was on bad teams. Titans getting plenty of national team TV coverage now. Worst team in the league. But when you're on a bad team and you're the one guy, and he was great on those teams. This is not knocking Delaney Walker at all. He was the one of the very few positives on those Titans teams. You're not going to get the shine. Uh, and, and I don't think that's Delaney Walker. I don't know. I don't take that even when he was on with us as him being about that. That's him acknowledging why that he's not getting the same respect well, as other guys. And that's how he would he would counter the Gronk is the best tight end in the league by saying, well, Gronk, he may be double teamed, but it's not every play. And when, when you're on a really bad team and you're putting up the numbers I am, right. you're – you're faced with a double team every single play, safety you don't help get, over the top, uh, linebacker. I, I talk about this over and over. You don't get scored up for being on a bad team the same way right. you don't get scored down for being on a good team. You are on what you are on. He also was critical of the fan base in terms of that small market thing. You know, our fan base in Tennessee didn't didn't elevate me, doesn't elevate Well, no, he's not. He, I didn't read it like that. I, I didn't hear it. I, I read his quote. He wasn't saying the fan base didn't elevate him. He said the fan base isn't as large as other markets. Therefore, you can't be as vocal uh, as a group as as other fan bases. Well, to which some of the fan base also said, and look, I thought Delaney was, you know, when you're as good as Delaney Walker was in the context of this team, I love players like that because they can speak oh, their yeah. truth. Yeah. They can speak their truth without the fear of the consequences with management, with coaches, with fans. But he did tell the fans during some controversial times, if you don't like it, stay home. Yeah, the kneeling. Yeah, yeah. and during so uh, that didn't score him huge points with, with some of the fans he's complaining about not being uh, in large enough numbers for him or vocal en- enough. So, you know, w- which is it there? You know, I, I can understand the fans clapping back now and saying, well, you told us stay home. I just think it's so stupid to um – complain about fans in the NFL. Regardless of what market you go to, there are going to be diehards and people in that market paying attention. So whatever size market you choose or team that either does or doesn't have a national fan base, you choose, that's just part of the deal. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we were raving about Champa Bay and the Bucks fans and Bucks Nation until Tom Brady got there, and boy, these fans are great. Well, absolutely not. This is awesome. Well, they were I mean, the worst ticket sales in the league, probably. Yes, and then they but were. That's sold my out. point. Like Tampa Bay, the Lightning and the Bucks are the best franchises in their respective sports right now. No one cares about the fans in those cities when they went there. It's, I don't think of Tampa Bay fans as someone that's you know as a fan base that's going to elevate that franchise. I don't think of Lightning fans they're going to elevate the franchise. It's just, I think when players get it, it's a fun debate to have amongst different fan bases. Which fan base is better? Which fan base is more vocal? Which fan base is bigger? Those are fun discussions to have. I think anytime you weigh in on that as a player, and I don't think with what I read with Delaney's comments, he was bashing Titans fans or anything. I just think it's pointless. He wasn't complimenting them. When you're weighing in. I I will say this, and I'm not saying this is the case now, but maybe as we hear more from him, you know, it's the beginning of a trend. And Hutt, you in particular know this happens a lot. Guys who you know and love in the locker room setting sometimes 
when they're removed from the locker room setting for a while, they surprise you the direction they go. You know, there have been guys that I was certain would be great post-career who weren't and, and vice versa. And I hope it's not the start of Delaney. Like, you got to keep yourself in context. Delaney Walker, very good player, Titans ring of honor caliber guy, not a Hall of Fame player. So I hope he's not sour about not being a Hall of Fame guy because in the context of tight ends of his era, he was very good, but he wasn't great. And I'd hate for, for his feelings about his time in Tennessee to be tainted by that when it's not accurate and self-aware enough. Because during his time in that Titans locker room, he was very self-aware. I, I, this is just Delaney doing the media uh, churn, trying to, try to, to latch on with a, a roster. I, I, hope, I hope that's the case. That's, that's, I mean, he's, he's touting himself and his accolades to match why he's coming back after sitting out a year to let his body heal. Yeah, two years, really, right? Yeah, uh, for, for the, the, the legacy aspect of wanting to play for contender and win a Super Bowl. Um, it, you know, it, players like him, uh, Jarrell Casey's also in this boat. Guys who are used to being paid at a, a premium rate that... We're stars. Jarrell Casey, you know, uh, for instance, uh, over the last five years, his salary's gone up until this year. He's released, and he's probably going to make less than he's made than any year over the last six years Since of his, his career. Since his rookie year. And he's going to have a decision to make whether or not to do that and sign up and play in 2021. Presuming somebody wants him. Well, uh, according to reports, he, he has received multiple offers. He's mulling multiple offers. Oh, good. Um, but the decision is whether or not to go through that or retire based on the way the salary cap is set up, the way teams have it structured now. It does not help guys like Casey, and it won't help guys like Delaney Walker who are trying to talk their way on to a contender. You, it's hard to pick and choose right. if you're those two guys. And those, those two just being examples of, of what it takes. And you know, it's a lesser team that probably wants that kind of leadership ingredient and has room for their third tight end or their second defensive tackle right? And to, you need, to be that age. You need a situation like Melvin Egram found where he, he has met with multiple teams. Dolphins, I think he met twice with the Dolphins. There was another team he went and met with. And he goes and meets with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers after the Steelers uh, worked out Justin Houston and didn't like it. They, they met with Melvin Ingram, ended up signing him yesterday. Lands so he latches on right before Cam. Terrific situation. That's a great spot for him. Can, can Casey and can Walker find those spots? To where it fits the needs that they want. Maybe they're not making. They won't make as much money as what they made the last time they played. Both coming off injuries. Or, but can they counter that with playing for a contender with a chance to go in a trophy? Can you find that spot? I don't know if you can. I wish them both well. I, I like them both a great deal. But they're very much on the downside. Very sure, much. you're signing up for a short-term uh, goal there. And you, again, you don't have to pay them that much, but you have to convince them to play for you. And you also have to have a contingency where you probably have a younger guy who could step in if they go down. Yes. Because them going down is more likely than another or, guy going down. Or you have a guy go down in camp and then you reach out to one of these two guys. Which is the rationale for waiting. I'm surprised to hear Justin Houston didn't do well, though if it was a Houston versus Ingram thing where they were trying them both out, I'm not surprised that Ingram might beat out Houston. But I wonder, I'd like to read more about Houston. Do you have any was, more context on Houston? It was, uh, the way I, it was reported was it was not a match. What, 
Oh, read fine. that however you want. They met with him. They, they were interested in Justin Houston. They met with him first, and it was quickly determined he was not a match for what they wanted to do. They flew in Ingram. Uh, he passed his physical. Uh, and he's, you know, he's went, he had two injuries to the same knee last year and did not record a sack for the first time since his rookie season, I believe. Yeah. So. I think that's right. I, I know a team I would like to see if he was a match for. Uh, played in just seven games last year. But, again, the, the Steelers have high value in him because they lost Bud Dupree, and they need and to they pair him really with a place. And if he's their third guy, you know, I'd, I'd take a chance on him as my third guy. Again, I know another team looking for a third guy. Uh, Paul. We, Chad brought up the fan base in Tampa selling out as soon as they signed Tom Brady. Uh, they sell out the, the stadium when tickets were allowed. Uh, and then they sell out immediately after they win the Super Bowl, as you might expect. The Titans are trying to sell tickets uh, where you can get a, what is it called, a fast pass? Fast pass. $300 for the season. $300, you're in all They've done this in the past. All the home games. They did it in 2019 they started. Obviously 2020 was a COVID year. That was a wash. I like the idea. Look, you, there's all kinds of ways you can mix and match, right? You can have a season ticket. You can get a partial season ticket, like mm -hmm. a, a half season, um, picking picking your games. And, and you can do this, which is much cheaper. You don't get to pick your seat, right? You get a different seat for every game, but you're in the building. It sounds terrific for young people. 300 bucks, you know, I think most young people who are into it, it young you professional, you yeah. can be in the building. Um, but it, and, and I don't know that it reflects anything about ticket sales other than they're offering variety, but it did spark a bit of a debate amongst my uh, biggest subscribers at paulkoharski.com in our conversation, wondering if there's any hint there to be had about how season ticket sales are going. Um, now, I don't know that it does because they've done it before, um, but I don't get the indications that I used to about how season ticket sales are going. Not, not talking purely season ticket sales, how tickets are selling for the season, I should say. And they've got some good games on the schedule. But uh, I am curious about the COVID bounce back um, and how many people are, you know, were content staying home, how many people went to two games annually who will now go to one, all of those kind of things. And so um, it's just kind of a crack in the door to have a little bit of a conversation about that. I don't know if you guys have friends with tickets and know what their, what their plans are. I am very curious to know what, what it's going to be like. I'm more curious about the actual demand for Titans in-game attendance while the current situation is what it is. And I'm not talking about on the field. I mean, it's until there's an improvement. We talked about this with Nashville SC. There's going to be a big boom in tickets when they go to their new stadium. People aren't dying to go to Nissan Stadium to watch the soccer team. But when they move into their new home, there's going to be much more of a demand for tickets until something changes. And I'm not saying just uh, you know blow up the stadium and build a new one. But until there's something oh, different the, about the physical. game day experience, I, I am curious about what the actual demand is to go to Titans games What's right the Julio now. Jones if you haven't factor. been going to Titans games for years. What's the Julio Jones factor early? Well, thank I you, think this fast pass being an option probably tells you it's not as big as we would have thought about Julio Jones. The factor, to go again, to go to games. Now, are the ratings going to be great? Absolutely. Are more people going to watch on television with Julio Jones? Yes. Ratings will be stellar. Does Julio Jones sell a bunch of tickets? I don't know. I would say this is an indication, while it's not – 
for sure that's the case, this indication that it doesn't sell as many tickets as maybe we would have thought. Well, it tells you they haven't sold. I mean, they're not sold out. They're not sold like hot potatoes. They have they have tickets to offer. My, ge- my guess is the lower bowl and the club level is selling if it's not really well, okay. Yeah, like, you've always talked about the upper deck. The, the upper deck is the hardest ticket in sports to sell in football, um, period, for any team. Um, it's tough to get people to leave their the comfort of their living room to go sit and bake in the sun in a cheap seat that you can barely see the football. Where there are not a lot of concession options up there either. No, it's, it's very not easy to get to. It's, just, it's a tough ticket to sell. Um, that's where these fast pass tickets come in. You want it in the door just to go hang out? Do you... Maybe you don't even care about <laughs> you know, watching the game. You walk around from those concourses. Yeah, I, mean, I did that um, at a Mets game with friends of mine. That that's where, the, I, I think, even unless you're the Chiefs or the Bucks with Brady and Mahomes, I, I think you're struggling to sell fans on the idea of paying and, and giving up your entire Sunday for the most part uh, and going to a game to sit in the upper deck nowadays because it's not a premium seat. And while it's less expensive than what you're paying to sit lower, it's not a, it's not affordable for everyone to go for a season ticket. I'm saying, uh, therefore, you have to get creative, and and that's why they have to get creative with that upper deck. Um, whenever they start renovations, I, I like the fast pass idea. I would like for it to be sold out immediately in the upper deck for three hundred dollars for a season ticket. I, uh, think I that's, think that's the next. All of them. That's the next level. But I'm saying whatever's left, I want to see the demand enough for an idea like that to be where you've got to shut off the cells quickly, because people are flooding the market. Oh, I'll take a, a fast pass to be able to go to games and tailgate with friends for 300 bucks. Nothing. I spend more than that to go to a concert one time. If you can get a right. season ticket fast pass for 300 bucks, I would want that to sell out quickly. Do you say too? I mean, I think there's a degree of this assures that you get in the door right for uh, Bills and Chiefs. And then you say, you know, the other ones I'll pick and choose. I might not even go to all of them. But for 300 bucks, you know, hey, Chad, you and I spend 300 bucks a piece. We're, you know, we live downtown or close to downtown. We're guaranteed we're going to those two, right? The other ones we'll pick and choose depending on how the season's going and whatever. I want that for an NFL team, especially one that's good in this market that's growing like this, to sell out in one day. Whatever the offer is, however many they're offering, I think that's something that is so good it should sell out quickly. When it doesn't, that's alarming. Yeah, I don't know what the, what the cap is on that. I would think you kind of keep it going and, uh, you know, you've got scattered seats available. You kind of fill it in. As long as you need to, or as long as you can. Um, speaking of tickets at Nissan Stadium, U.S. Soccer versus Canada in the first World Cup qualifier on September 5th, the Sunday night before uh, NFL uh, first regular season Sunday. Steep. Uh, I made my investment. Um, I, I had the code to get in early. I didn't pull the trigger on club level seats that I had. They disappeared. I was looking at some next to the tunnel this morning because I thought the kids, I'm going with another family, would get to see the guys coming in and out of the tunnel at least. That would be cool. I had them pegged and watched them disappear off the screen when I was about to buy them. So then I waited till 10 o'clock till everybody else came online, and I bought pretty good seats, you know, near midfield, lower bowl, back of the lower bowl, 144 a piece before fees. And again, those Ticketmaster fees are just criminal, criminal. 
every time I buy tickets to every, anything, and I'm sure you guys feel the same. Like, you feel okay about the number, and then when you get to the total and you see what the number actually is after they add all that on, you're like, these guys are just swimming in it. I, I don't know what processing entails, but boy, is that an expensive process. That's a click. Cost a click. Uh, Outkick 360 presented by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Is something preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You're going to get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as you do with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Traditional offline counseling, financial aid available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Visit betterhelp.com 360, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for OutKick 360 listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com 360. So Jeff Bezos went to space today, and he's already back. It happened over the course of what, like 30 minutes? It felt like 30 minutes watching it live this morning. I didn't see the whole thing. I just saw the landing, which I was incredibly impressed by. By the time I woke up, got ready for work, and was about to leave, he was back. Uh, He's they back, had landed. Man. He was back, back. And, and his whole group, you know, and they were like dusting off the pot or whatever <laughs> and getting ready to let him out. I mean, when you think you're announcing your back is some big deal to people, he's back from space. That's being back. There's a level of back that billionaires can get to that that I'll just never be able to accomplish. One of those levels is going to outer space and then being able to announce that you are, in fact, back (laughs) with no formal training. You know, not even uh, an engineer, Navy fighter pilot turned astronaut, just with money. Surely can make it happen and go to space and then just announce that you're back. Surely he vomited. I would, I would think so. He went with four people. Surely they all. Uh, I don't think so. There's no way a non-trained person going to space doesn't vomit. It's so Jacob Swanson was uh, watching the it's the fall back to Earth. I know you said you were impressed by that, but he was just watching a video of that taking place. Um, uh, nice square landing. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, is it really worth it for what some of these guys are paying no. to go? No. To just go up there for. A minute? Well, and then you, fall back down? You're considered an astronaut at that point. Well, being an astronaut isn't what it used to be when Chad and I, these, all these shows we watch about being an astronaut in the 60s. Well, uh, that the, was the time to be an astronaut. The, being the, an astronaut in 2021, not that big. Well, as is as testament to that all you have to do is be rich. You say not that big. I mean, what does this lead to? I mean, 25 years from now, you may be eating those words. On what that well, what well that we have to live on Mars. Well, not just that, but uh, you could take trips. I mean, they are what sixty-five miles above the Earth, um, and at least fifty-one. And, I think. For and this is a very brief 
uh, stay. Um, but they they have bigger ambitions than just okay. Let's let's fly up there and then float back down on a parachute. Um, so Richard Branson went like two weeks ago. Yeah. He's already pre-sold 600 tickets to space at $250,000 per ticket. He's already pre-sold that through Virgin. Um, we, yes, Bezos is doing that too. And then Elon Musk with SpaceX, he's headed up later this year, I believe. And he's already sent rockets up to the International Space Station where he's being paid to send and deliver equipment for NASA <laughs> through SpaceX. Uh, so what they're doing uh, with the individualized and private monetization of space is just scratching the surface of, of the question of, is it worth it? I, I'm fascinated by the business model that they're headed into that no one has the ability to reach because, again, it's the billionaire mindset. Yeah, what I mean by is it worth it, it it's very cool to go to space. I'm not trying to belittle going to space, but... Again, what's worth it to me is if you're a billionaire, $250,000 is nothing. So you can do whatever you want with your money and go into space. But I think I would just wait for the advancements to happen where they start taking people for strolls on the moon in a few years. <laughs> because you said, Hutton, we're scratching the surface on what this is going to become. So the price is eventually going to go down and you're right, going to get will. to do cooler stuff with it at some point instead of being in the very... And there's something to be said for being in, in, in the beginning and being one of the first ones to go. But you want to talk about FU money? Being able to spend a quarter of a million dollars just to say that you've gone to space and have a chance to do it with Richard Branson, that is the definition of FU money. I think, too, um, the is it worth it conversation on two levels. Like, I mean, I think the exploration element is un unbelievable. You guys have uh, heard me come in just, just fawning over the idea that we could send a rover that takes close-up pictures of Pluto or that we could land on Mars or some of the specials I've seen about the Hubble telescope and now I know that we're we're on the verge of if we haven't already sending up something that is going to be way better than the Hubble telescope at exploring the the universe um, is unbelievable um, is it worth it like for me to go to space I'll definitely vomit I, I have no interest in in I have interest in being weightless here on Earth, a lot less weight, but not weightlessness for which I will vomit. Well, I just think it's the fascination of, of feeling that sensation, right? Yeah. Uh, for, for a lot of people, if you have the means to do it, and I, look, I'm not signing up to go up in the rocket first. Jeff Bezos did. I mean, that that's crazy in and of itself. Uh, and uh, did it, by the way, on the anniversary of the 1969 moon landing with Aldrin and Armstrong. July 20th was the anniversary, and that's why they launched this morning. That reminds me, that is my sister's birthday. Happy so birthday. I, need to, I need to wish my uh, sister Michelle a happy birthday. Happy she birthday, was born, Michelle. She was born in 1969 when, uh, when we landed on the moon. We landed on the moon. Did your, did your uh, parents get to see? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't that's talked That's a story that. I'd be interested in. Yeah, I haven't talked that. I think like, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to ask. Ask. I'm curious. It's my mom would be the only did your part mom, of it, Did yeah. your mom give birth, and then did she get to see the moon landing? Different dads, but yeah. Okay. I, we'll get into that another I'm another sorry show. to, I yeah. mean. That's on a podcast yeah. coming up. Future podcast. <laughs> Chad's genealogical history coming up on a very yeah. special podcast. He'll go all the way back to Von Schmidt, oh yes. We are back at it tomorrow across the Outkick Network for Outkick 
360. Join us and win our parlay. Don't block the box and do lock the locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.